Beloved, let's behold God's living word by turning to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 21 through 23 today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in your seat back in front of you. I found a little snippet of a story from a devotional that was written about 30 years ago. It goes like this. One New Year's Eve at London's Garrett Club, British dramatist Frederick Longsdale was asked by Seymour Hicks to reconcile with a fellow member of the club. The two had quarreled in the past and never restored their friendship. And Hicks said to Longsdale, you must reconcile tonight. It's a very unkind and unfriendly time to not be reconciled for it's New Year's Eve. So Longsdale crossed the room and spoke with his enemy. And he said, I wish you a happy new year, but only one. (laughs) This is not the type of reconciliation we are talking about today. As we consider last week's sermon discussing the cosmic Christ, who all things were made by him and through him and for him. And he reconciled all things to himself. Paul makes a transition in the text today from going to this cosmic Christ, who's the subject of last week's text, to now focusing on how this cosmic Christ does personal and specific work inside the lives of the Colossians. He has cared for them uniquely on his work through the cross. And this work has actually changed them, changed them positionally as they stand before God. And he urges them in this text today to not forget this work, to hold fast to this work. And so this very cosmic Christ as we have been preaching on, this glorious Christ is also a personal servant to the church, to us as individuals, but us collectively as the people who belong to the Lord himself. Now, I'll read the text for us before we get in. And you, verse 21, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the living word of God. So here's where we're going today in this little text. First, we'll observe the Colossians' previous condition before they were reconciled to God through Christ. And uh, it will not be lost on us that it's our condition as well prior to being reconciled to Christ. We'll also see their condition after they were reconciled to Christ. What is their state now that they have been brought near to the Father and to the Son yet again? And then we will see in the third portion, the final point, our response to the work of reconciliation, the evidence of God's reconciling 
work. And by God's providential grace, these gospel truths that are in this passage for us today shall prepare our hearts as we take the Lord's Lord's Supper today uh, to conclude our preaching time. So as we look at verse 21, that's where our first point is found today. Our condition before Christ's reconciling work. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Paul is writing here in the past tense, and you, Colossians, who were once alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds. This is their state prior to being reconciled to God through Christ. He is describing them with some strong language as we see. Alienated means that they were isolated from God, completely out of fellowship with him, estranged and separated at enmity with God, outside the walls of the city, members and citizens of another country, banished from the garden, to put it another way. If you remember the fellowship that man enjoyed with God in the garden as he walked with him in the cool of the day before the fall, sin then entered into man and God judged man and gave him hope. He told him that a seed was coming to destroy the serpent, but he also banished man from the garden. And this is where man lives, alienated from God. Paul says in the companion letter to the Ephesians, He says this of the Gentiles, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Not only are they estranged from God, but they are also hostile towards God in their own minds, as verse 21 says. That means they hated God. They were against him in every way. They were angry that God sits atop the throne. Imagine two armies who are facing off in a beautiful, flat, epic battlefield. The Colossians were on the side of the army in which was facing God and his army, angry with God that he was sitting atop the white horse, angry with God that he sits atop the throne, hostile in their minds, wishing the circumstances were different. This is how Paul is describing the Colossians. I hope that we do not read this passage with only the Colossians in mind. Paul is describing us also. He's describing us and the human condition, our natural inclination as members of humanity seeks to worship everything but God. Romans 1 says that we rose up and worship the created things rather than the creator. So this hostility in mind is our hostility. This alienation is our alienation. We want anything to be on the throne except for God. And primarily, if we were gonna take inventory of our own souls, we get to the same answer within all of us. We want each of us to be on the throne. We would much rather sit atop that throne than God himself. This is what it looks like to be hostile towards God. And if we were to uh, just look around us throughout all of humanity, uh, those saved and those specifically right now as we're talking the condition before reconciliation, those unsaved, 
we see that people reject God all over the place, promoting the self over promoting God. We see it on our social media feeds, boasting in the things that we accomplish or putting people down, uh, making ourselves look better than they are. We literally see it everywhere in our conversations, in the little whispers in the back hallway. We are constantly hostile to the things of God. Think about how quickly, as Moses ascended to the top of the mountain to receive the law from God, that man made an image to be worshiped, the golden calf. One theologian says our hearts are idol-making factories. That is what they do, hostile to God's supreme reign over the cosmos. This is who we are. And we cannot see that we are this way because we are spiritually blind. Do you remember what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in John chapter three? You cannot see the kingdom of God lest you are born again. Those who are alienated and hostile in mind cannot even see that they're so unless they can see the kingdom of God made possible through the spirit. This hostile mind leads them to evil deeds. They're trapped in their habitual sins. Paul is describing a huge heart problem that is affecting the way that they live. The the plague of the heart and the mind works itself out into the hands and to the feet and through the tongue of every single person. When someone is in this state, they are enslaved to sin. This is what it looks like to live in the domain of darkness. Remember we saw in verse 13 of chapter one how God uh, delivered the people out of the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. Well, those who dwell and make their habitations in the kingdom of darkness are alienated and hostile in mind, separate from God, hating God and doing evil deeds. This is what citizenship looks like in these parts. The things of God are alienated, alien from us. And this is throughout all of humanity. King David writes in Psalm 51 that humanity is conceived in iniquity. It is not just something we do. Sin is not just something we do. Sin is something that is dwelling within us. It's all around us. Well, Blair, isn't that harsh? There are nice people who are not Christians, who are altruistic in their motives. It might be harsh, but it is biblical. This is what the scripture says of the condition of man's heart. Here is just a simple sample of what the scripture says about the condition of man prior to the reconciliation of God through Christ. Mark 7, 21, it is from within the heart of man. Come, that come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. Remember what Jesus says in the same passage, it's not what goes into man that defiles him, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles him because it comes from the heart. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good. Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Romans three, 
he charges every single Jew and every single Gentile with this. You are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. That's including all. all like all means all. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. That's what we've become before the reconciliation of God. No one does good, not even one. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins, Ephesians 2, 1. This is the condition of the human soul prior to reconciliation. And you can see it everywhere. You can even see it in babies. who have something taken from them, they cry because they don't have their way. They want things to be their way. There's hostility towards the one who takes it. You see it in a child who doesn't get their way or who's told they have to do something and then they rebel against it. We see it in adults as well. When they're informed of something that is good for them to do, yet they don't heed the counsel or the advice. Rebellion is within us all. That is the condition of the soul. Now, I have a couple of application questions for us to consider. And these questions are always for your soul, to take the soul to task. Ask yourself, is this true of me? Even if you don't think it's true as the question's being asked, go deeper, see if it's asked of you or see if it's true of you. Do we think of ourselves in this state alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds prior to the reconciliation of God through Christ. We were hostile towards God, at war with him, unable to carry the burden of alienation. And if we are honest, we believe that oftentimes we're not that hostile. Oftentimes we think we're not that bad. Uh, we think, well, I, I've never really been hostile towards God. I've simply just recognized later in life that I needed to accept the grace of God through Christ and I needed to be saved, but I've never really been hostile. Perhaps you came to faith in Christ at an early age and you thought, I never really had the opportunity to be hostile towards God. Remember, I'm describing the condition of man through what the scripture is saying. We were alienated and hostile towards God prior to our reconciliation. Any subtle chance that we have in which we do not recognize Christ as supreme over the cosmos, as we learned last week, is a hostility that we might not know is there. Sometimes apathy is disguised as hostility. But that is the condition of the human heart. And Paul is reminding the Colossians, this was you. And so I have the responsibility today as I preach God's word to remind you, this was us. Hostile towards God in all things. It still might sound harsh to you, You might think in your own thinking, that's not really me. I do want to remind us what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, that the heart, the mind and the heart, the soul seat of the person is desperately deceitful above all things. 
Oftentimes, we don't really consider this to be true of us, but we are called to. The second thing I want us to think about today is this. Why do we treat others in the world who are lost as if they are not alienated and hostile in mind in doing evil deeds? So often we think of those who are lost as if they should be living inside of God's design the way that we who have been reconciled see it as God has allowed us to see it. We think that they should see things under the understanding of God's design. Oftentimes we, we don't give them the grace that God has given to us. Oftentimes we forget that because they're alienated and hostile in mind, it is impossible for them to see things the way that God has designed things. And so a big question that we have in our soul, why are we not loving and patient towards our enmities as Christ has been loving and patient towards us when we were hostile and alienated from him? Oftentimes, if you think about it, we get excited when somebody from the opposite political party is in trouble, but we're not recognizing that they are alienated and hostile in mind, perhaps not even knowing God, just as we were in our condition. So Christ has served us in our hostility and it helps to dissolve the hostility in the relationships that we have both within the church and then without. Now we still see as those who have been reconciled, this remnants of this rebellion, this hostility within us, do we not? I mean, for Paul says in Romans seven, why do I do the things that I hate? It's still within us, but now we have the spirit which gives us the contrast that shows us where hostility begins to rear its ugly head, where these evil deeds become working, uh, are still working out within us. We recognize when those evil deeds are beginning to work. And so we have the spirit that's helping us in these things. And we just want to take our souls to task today to be reminded of how alienated and hostile in mind we actually were. We cannot bow to the king unless the king draws us to him. Number two, what's the bad news? <laughs> you have to start with the bad news before you get to the good news. The bad news helps the good news make sense. Number two, verse 22, our condition after Christ's reconciliation or after Christ's reconciling work, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Beloved, this is good news. This is the good news that we are to cherish and walk in and believe and remind each other of. See how this work of Christ actually changed the position of the Colossians before the living God. It is Christ who has reconciled them. And how did he do it? In his body of flesh, by his death. Look at what God has done through this work. Look at the stark contrast between you once were alienated and hostile in mind, but now you are reconciled. This contrast emphasizes the magnitude of God's gracious work. 
reconcile with God. Reconcile, uh, reconciliation is just as, as a reminder is bringing a relationship back into harmony. One that has been destroyed. One that has enmity between it. Specifically, the relationship between God and man that was destroyed in the garden has now been reconciled through the work of Christ. If you remember Christ's work upon the cross, the temple uh, veil tore in two, reminding and showing us that there is now fellowship yet again between God and his people. See with me in the verse, first part of verse 22, the movement behind the reconciling work belongs to God himself. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is what Peter is reminding us in his first epistle, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He is the one who has restored this fellowship. He is the one who has brought us back into communion with him. We're able to have no enmity at all because of what Jesus has done. And as the theme throughout the book of Colossians is to not listen to the false teaching, but to make sure you're holding tightly to the gospel, Paul is reminding them that you have been reconciled. It is done. There's no need to add anything to this work. Nothing. Don't even be tempted to do this. He has changed your position from the kingdom of darkness and he's placed you into the kingdom of his beloved son. You have a total and true address, address change completely and a new standing before him. We were in hell. We were separated without him. And as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, we have now been brought near. And this is the good news of reconciliation. No more hostility or alienation, fellowship, communion, walking with God yet again because of the work of Christ. Now, there is a tendency in this broken world to forget this. Beloved, there's going to be a day when Christ is going to return and he's going to glorify this church. And he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. And he's gonna restore all of the broken things that have been shattered outside the garden. He's gonna make it all new. But I don't want us to forget that we cannot be more reconciled to God through Christ than we are this very moment. There is no future reconciliation that we are hoping for. The reconciliation has occurred on that cross when Christ cried out with a very loud voice to Telestai. It is finished. You, beloved, are finished in him. This is what it means to be reconciled back to God after we have been departed from him through our own sin. In verse 22, the second part of it tells us why the purpose behind this reconciliation. In order that we would be presented holy and blameless before him. This is why we've been reconciled. That's the good news. And the good news is continued further that we would be presented holy, blameless before the throne of God. We are in Christ who reconciles all things to himself, through himself, by himself. And we're in him. 
If you remember the ark and the, and the role that it played for Noah and it preserved Noah and his family from the judgment of God. Well, this is exactly the role that Christ plays for us. We are in Christ, secure from the judgment of God, reconciled back to him. And this reconciler was required to have no blemish as we see in the law. The Passover lamb, Exodus 12, 5, says that the Passover lamb could not have a blemish. And we see this further developed in the law itself, both Leviticus and Deuteronomy. A lamb without blemish or a sacrifice without blemish. And that's exactly who Peter says Christ is. He is the one who sacrificed without blemish on our behalf. So by the time John the Baptist introduces Christ at the beginning of the epistle of John, he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the reconciler of people back to God. This is him. And so we think about the great exchange passage from 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin." the righteous one who knew no sin. He became sin. That means our sin was placed on him and the wrath of God was absorbed by him on our behalf so that we who are alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. This is the reconciling work that has taken place for all of those who have put their trust in Christ who have recognized themselves that they were alienated and hostile in minds and doing evil deeds. This is the good news of the gospel. Now we see that this is our position before God in Christ. But we also recognize, it doesn't take long to recognize that we still sin. We're also still a work in progress. So this presenting us is going to come at a date and time. We will be presented holy and blameless. We are holy and blameless in Christ as God the Father sees us now, but we're also a work in progress. We're also continuing in the faith. Do you remember we uh, talked about Paul's prayer just a couple of weeks ago? He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, growing in good works and walking in them. All of this is piecing together now as we look at this letter. It was promised long before Christ came in Ezekiel 36 that the people of God would have a new heart one day. It says in Romans 2 and then Colossians 2, here we'll get to in a few weeks, that there's a circumcision of the heart. So not only are we in Christ, but he's given us a new mind and a new heart, a new desire to obey him, a new desire to know him and to walk in him. And we know this, according to Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you, church, is faithful to complete it. He is going to present us before himself blameless and holy. If you or anybody you know has ever had a major surgery and they go in and they make a, a major correction, you know that it... It's, it's, it's quite a work. It's actually a, a pretty bloody and intense work to do a big surgery. But after the work is fixed, that person is on the men. Now, recovery might take a long time, 
but the fix has been made. Brothers and sisters, we're in recovery right now. We are holy and blameless, and then we're learning to grow in our holy and blamelessness before the throne of grace. So we are positionally holy and blameless, and then we are growing in this work. But I want us to see the very last point today, the evidence as to whether or not this work has taken place. The evidence as to whether or not the reconciling work of Christ has taken place. Paul gives us a warning here in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you see that if in the text? It's there intentionally, designed by God to to check our hearts, to remind us of these truths of the gospel. That if is a conjunction, it's, it's, a, it's a conditional clause. If you continue in the faith. Now, what verse 23 is saying, it's an encouragement that we would never leave this hope of the gospel. If you remember, the false teachers were coming in and saying, hey, you got Jesus, that's great but there should be more you experience. You should be doing more rituals to experience him more fully. And Paul is saying, do not shift from the hope of the gospel. Don't leave it. Don't wander from it. Stay right there. If you remember in Colossians 1.5, that hope laid up in heaven for us where Christ is seated in the heavenly places, through the spirit, that hope produces within us faith and love. Well, the same thing is happening here. This hope that we have in the gospel is continuing to help us with steadfast faith, that stable and steadfast faith. That's the kind of faith that's not going anywhere because it was built on the rock and not on sand. It's satisfied with the work of Christ. It's satisfied with this word. Don't add to it. Don't depart from it. We are tempted throughout every part of our day to shift from the hope of the gospel. And by God's grace, we get to see here reminders don't, that say in scripture, don't do that. There's gonna be a thousand trees that are gonna tempt you out there, but there's one tree of life. Don't shift from the hope of that tree. That's where the Christian stays. That's where the Christian has union with Christ and reconciliation with the Father and, and community with each other. And when we have faith that stays on Christ, our knowledge of him, our understanding of him increases, it grows. We begin to walk in him. We begin to walk and talk and act like him through the work of the spirit. It also says, don't shift from the hope. Don't, don't be talked out of if being stable and steadfast means to stay on the faith. He's saying here, don't be persuaded that there's something else out there. There's no other blessings to be found. There's no second blessing. Christ is the blessing. We have within us a fear of missing out, thinking about all the ways that people are growing in the understanding of, wisdom, of the wisdom of man and all the the, the myths and the philosophies that are spun and the way that people are developing. Paul is essentially saying, do not shift 
from the hope of the gospel. This is why Paul says to the Corinthians, the only thing that I preach to you is Christ and him crucified. This is the work. We have this fear of man within us. And I think we're afraid of being considered old-fashioned or ignorant. And the way that Paul is describing the gospel, the glorious gospel, there is no ignorance in it. It's the truth about the eternal Christ in the cosmos, and it's the Christ that saved us. There's nothing old-fashioned or ignorant about that. That's only good news. We don't need to become bored of it or afraid of what people are going to think about us. Stay the line. If you're a college student or if you're heading off to college soon or if you're preparing for college in a few years, the world is gonna throw at you every single philosophy that is out there. It's going to ask you to shift from the hope that you have in the gospel. Do not shift from this truth that you were alienated and hostile in mind and now you have been reconciled to him through his body by his death. You stay there, you hold it, you sow it in your heart, you get brothers and sisters around you who remind you of it. Stay on the narrow path. A lot of people drift. Stay on that narrow path. We cannot allow those who are alienated and hostile in mind to persuade us of other philosophies and teachings. We have to recognize their state before God and we have to recognize what we have that God has given us through his word, the good news of the gospel of Christ. Now this faith, which has found its hope in the gospel of Christ proves to be real faith, persevering faith. It proves to be um, faith that has actually set its heart on the things of God, the things that are above. Faith that sinks deeper and deeper into the soil of Christ and his work and is watered by the word and is nourished by the word. And that plant keeps growing and growing and will be presented holy and blameless above reproach. This is that type of faith. Now, faith that is dislodged from the soil. Faith that doesn't have its hope set on the reconciliation of Christ is actually described in the parable of the sower. It blossoms quickly, but was never attached to the soil. In a day's time, it believed the things of the gospel, but it did not continue believing the things of the gospel. The birds snatched it up. The sun scorched it. The thorns choked it out. But when Christ has reconciled us to him, the proof of that is that we stay stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And this is why we gather together as the church to remind us of these things. This is why we open each other up in our hearts and we let people in so that we can see where are we being hostile in our hearts and minds towards God and towards one another. The great reconciling work allows us to be in uh, relationship with God and then also with one another. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the ministry of reconciliation has been given to us, the church, that we get to participate in together. And this is the hope that has now gone out 
throughout all the world, as you see there in 23. It's the very hope that Paul uh, became a minister under. Remember, Paul was a a Christ hater, a gospel uh, disputer, but he became a minister of the gospel. And and next week's text is gonna show us the ministry of Paul. It's going to help us along in our faith. Brothers and sisters, do you remember that you are alienated and hostile in mind towards God? But in God's loving kindness, glory, and wisdom, he has reconciled you, transferred you out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this is where you dwell. This is your habitation now. You are in Christ Jesus. You are holy because of him. And so when sin rears its ugly head and we see our sinfulness before us, we run to the cross of Christ. We remember that in his body, by his death, we've been reconciled. This is the hope of the gospel.